Okay, I'll, I'll pray and, and then we'll get going. Lord, we ask that you quiet our hearts, our minds, and help us to uh, focus for the next little bit on your word and how you have changed our world by coming into it. And we thank you for your people that you've used to bring change to this world, that you've used clay pots like us. So we thank you. We want to honor your great name this morning. Help me as I teach. I need it. We ask it in Christ's name and because of the cross. Amen. Well, last time I spoke with you, uh, it was on how Christianity transformed the world related justice. And I mentioned this illustration of a fish in a fishbowl of it doesn't know anything but water because that's the, what it, its environment is, what it lives in. And we talked about how Christianity has impacted our justice system. It's impacted what we're going to look at this morning, uh, health care. And and what what is our history there with with healthcare? So you may recognize this gentleman. That's our dear Dr. Mark. And I was going to put many other health people on here. We've got John Lynn. Who else is in healthcare in here? Patsy. Um, and we've got. Well, that's my next slide. <laughs> doctors and nurses that we are so used to having free access to at any moment, any time in our culture. Uh, I was in Florida two weeks ago and was short one of my heart pills. Well, I do. I called Justin Howard and say, would you mind calling in one pill? <laughs> for me to the Walmart that's being very difficult with me because it's not a, a narcotic, it's a platelet thinner and they still don't want to give it to me. And in no time he had called, I had my pill, we're walking out the door, I need some things cold. I say, hey, let's get some uh, dry ice at the front of the, so we have access to all these things and healthcare is one of them that we don't even think twice about the fact of the access that, that God has given us and how has that come about. Anybody know who this is? No cheating. I'll give you another clue. His name's Wendell and his wife's Edith and their last name was Foster and they had a daughter named Louise. And Wendell was in the army as a, a cook, and he had learned medical techniques that he was able to bring home from his working with wounded soldiers and applied those principles and techniques to caring for his daughter who had cerebral palsy. And they began to give care to people and children especially, they had seven they started with in 1947. 
This was them a few years back, near the end of their life. They've all passed away since then. I looked them up and uh, from the 90s to the 2000s. Um, they've served, I don't know if it, yeah, thousands of people with disabilities in Owensboro in their 75 years here. 75th anniversary this year. I didn't know if you knew that. And they were members at First Baptist Church. I didn't know that either. We think of ministries like Nick. Yeah, I won't try and say his name. Vucicic. Uh, the man without arms and legs. And uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who you're familiar with. These are ministries that are common to us today. We've got the Red Cross, Samaritan's Purse. We've got... Christian ministries like MediShare and Samaritan's Ministries that offer health, uh, they don't call it insurance, but health care provision for Christians. Wasn't always so. We live in a very unique time. So we're going to look at how Christianity has transformed the world, especially here in America where we have so much as it relates to healthcare. And we see medical advances across civilizations like the Greek, Roman, Indian, and Islamic empires and great surgeons and physicians, but there was one fair area they failed at a lot, and that was care, and especially care for the poor, sick, and weak and especially compassionate care. Some of the worst health care to come from believers in the Old Testament. Anybody know who that was? Well, there are a lot of examples of bad health care. The, the Egyptians uh, telling the Pharaoh wanting the babies thrown in the Nile. And, but as far as from believers, uh, the worst health care givers, I think, were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Job's friends. <laughs> they had a, some knowledge, but it wasn't given in care, was it? Wasn't given wisely. Well, Rome didn't even have Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar in their day. At the time of Christ, compassion was considered weakness, and mercy was discouraged, and only those in positions of power and strength were taken care of, like Roman gladiators, soldiers, slaves, and of course the emperor. Why was that? Why were slaves and gladiators and soldiers taken care of? There was an economic value to them. They, they cared about their money and what they could be provided for by these things, but for the common person wasn't offered. It's only because of their economic and military usefulness. Well, Jesus had a very different view of care, didn't he? For the weak and the poor, even than the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who had embraced a lot of the cultural norms of Rome. 
we have in Matthew 4 that Jesus went throughout Galilee healing every disease and sickness among the people. I remember Pastor Ted saying at the time that Jesus was on the earth, some have, have thought that disease was basically wiped out in Palestine, wherever Jesus traveled. There was no more disease. Can you imagine a society where everything's been cured for a period of time? Uh, everywhere he went, he was preaching and he was healing. And uh, it was an unusual period of time, which showed people that Jesus was speaking with authority. It, it, it confirmed who he was, but it also showed his heart. It showed the heart of his father, that there was mercy for those who were sick. And so he sent his disciples out doing the same thing. But mercy and compassion marked Jesus. John, some of y'all may know what this is. Do you know what disease this is, anybody? Elephant, Yeah. Edema, today we call it. it it's also known as dropsy. I think this is uh, similar to it. We have the story in Luke 14, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things. This was a different kind of message. Y'all know what this is. Leprosy, the effects of leprosy, eating away parts, making you blind, turning you white. Behold, a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand to who? Leper, the unclean. And Jesus didn't become unclean, but he made the unclean clean by his touch. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Another account, he also, he said also to the man who had been invited, who had invited Jesus, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do you invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be, re be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus was coming with a totally different message from the worldly mindset of Rome. And you may have seen this painting before. It's of the great banquet invitation where have these people carrying the lame and the weak and children and what have you to the feast. It's a beautiful painting. You know the story of the Good Samaritan I won't read the whole thing to you, but although it's a, a picture of what Christ has done for his people in when no other hope for them, Christ rescues 
us as the the beg the person who's beat up on the road. Why was that? What was it that drove the the good Samaritan? He saw him. He had compassion. Jesus talking about the father's compassion and his compassion, and when he asked the man who was the neighbor, he says the one who showed mercy. And what does Jesus say in response? Go and do likewise. That his people are to act like him in showing mercy, compassion. Well, this was very different from the Romans. Dionysius, the Christian bishop in the third century, talked about the existing behavior of the pagans toward their fellow sick human beings in a plague in Alexandria in 250. He said, the pagans thrust aside anyone who began to be sick and kept aloof, even from their dearest friends, and cast the sufferers out upon the public roads half dead, left them unburied, and treated them with utter contempt when they died. Romans saw helping a sick person as weakness. Christians, in light of what Jesus had taught them about the sick, believed they weren't just doing it for the person, they were actually doing it for Christ. And here Dionysius speaks of how the Christians responded. Very many of our brethren, while in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness, did not spare themselves. It's a rebuke to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to get near anybody w with COVID. And I, I'm not saying you have to go out, but I, I'm saying for me, this, this was, we're dealing with a virus that's one hundredth of one percent, you know, deadly or, and they're dealing with this plague that's super deadly. But kept by each other and visited the sick without thought of their own peril and ministered to them assiduously and treated them for their healing in Christ, died from time to time most joyfully, drawing upon their neighbor's diseases and willingly taking over to their own persons the burden of the sufferings of those around them. <laughs> what a testimony. You're familiar with the parable of the sheep and the goats and Jesus saying, if you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. The early church remembered these words of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas asking, asked to remember the poor, and Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do as well. There was compassion running through them. So they filled the pagan void that Rome had not filled, and people saw it and were saved, especially during the pestilences. Can't see the top great there, but it says, the early Christians unequivocally rejected the callous inhumane culture of the Greco-Roman world. They saw each person as having a redeemable soul. Therefore, it was God pleasing to nurture and nurse and every person regardless any and every person, regardless of his or her social status, because eternal life awaited, oops, 
all those who believed and died in Christ, life on earth was not the ultimate value. Even if one died while caring for the sick, a greater and better life lay ahead. Moreover, if a sick or dying person came to see and accept Christ's forgiveness, another soul was gained for eternal life, that kind of behavior was totally foreign to pagan thought. And very few of the early Christians who, out of love for Christ, risked their lives as a result of tending to the contagiously sick and dying have their names recorded in history, but there's this one's known. Okay, Amy, where are you? I, I saw you, okay? How do you say this in Latin? Okay, so same. Yes, it does. Good. And I don't know which came first, this guy's name or the idea that it's associated with kindness. Uh, we get our word benign, uh, a friendly disease, benign, we say. It's not going to kill us. Benignus was martyred because he nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed and crippled children that had been saved from death after failed abortions and exposures. Sounds almost modern, doesn't it? The hatred toward those that <laughs> all he wants to do is save, save these poor children. So, let's take a look at the history of hospitals and how they've been uh, a means to, or, or rather the effect that Christianity has played in their coming into existence. The Romans had these things, and Amy, help me again. Do you know how to say that? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Escopia? Eatria? That's an I. Etreia. And a veil to Naria? See, just like I said. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. These were three things that the Rome did have, but they weren't for the common person. The first one, I won't say, is the shrine uh, was used for religious purposes mostly, uh, re dedicated to their god of healing. They would go there and hope that something would happen. The second one is more like a clinic where you get diagnosis and medicine prescribed, but you weren't cared for. And the last one, the yeah, Wally, whatever, uh, was only for the ones we had mentioned earlier. Jim. An interesting thing about the Escopia uh, is that actually came, it's Greek, but it also came out of the uh, Moses when he uh, erected the pole with the snake on. Yes, they have the same, yeah, Greek, they have a Greek myth related to theirs. We have the biblical account. <laughs> yes, good. Um, this, you've seen the, either one or two snakes, depending on which symbol you see with the wings on it and the, yeah, that one represents medicine. Healing, one of them has to do with uh, medical commerce. Mm -hmm. So two big events that brought a shift in health care. One was the Edict of Milan, which uh, Constantine gave, which allowed Christians to actually live. And therefore, they weren't trying to save their own lives. 
they were able to invest in other people's lives at that point. Uh, and the Council of Nicaea in 325 directed bishops to establish a hospice in every city with a cathedral. This is already the effect of Christianity on healthcare. There was this thing. I won't make you say it, and I'll attempt it. Xenodokia. Xenodosia. Okay, I missed it. Anyway, comes from those two Latin words meaning receiving strangers. And this was an important function to nurse and heal the sick, but also provide shelter for the poor and lodging for pilgrims. So it took to heart the, the message of giving hospitality to strangers and enter, uh, entertaining angels unaware. Um, the first hospital was by Basil, bishop in Caesarea, that's Eastern, what they called the East. Uh, in 369, and it continued to be called uh, a nosocomium, <laughs> tried, until the 12th century, which we changed the word to hospital. And it was a large number of buildings or houses for physicians and nurses, workshops, and industrial schools. They had a lot going ministered exclusively to the sick, had a rehab unit. Um, you could learn a trade while you were recuperating. And more than followed in the third through the fifth centuries under the influence of Jerome, who this woman Fabiola was a wealthy widow who donated buckets of money to build hospitals. And uh, Chrysostom, we have Cyril's name after this, uh, Leader and Augustine, who all three and, and Fabiola were very influential in the push for hospitals in the third through fifth century. Here's Basil's care described. This is beautiful. It says, even lepers whose deformities and serpurations, which are pussy discharges, I had to look that one up, uh, Okay, rendered them objects of the particular revulsion might, oops, might be welcomed by the bishop with a kiss and given both refuge and care. Can you imagine if you had that? Someone touching you and caring for you. The more broken men and women were, the readier was Basil to glimpse Christ in them. The spectacle in a slave market of a boy sold by starving parents, the one child sacrificed that his siblings might have some scraps of food, provoked the bishop to a particularly scorching excoriation of the rich. The bread in your board belongs to the hungry, the cloak in your wardrobe to the naked, the shoes you let rot to the barefoot, the money in your vault to the destitute. He didn't mind speaking up. Monasteries began to care for the sick in 529. The Catholic Church was very, very involved in caring for the weak, weak and sick. There may be things we disagree with them on, but boy, they nailed it on that. And we all know their motives, but they took care of the, the sick. They were known for it. And the mentally disturbed as well. 
and Christian hospitals were the world's first voluntary charitable institutions. They were free back then. By 725, they had spread through Europe and England and Milan. Hospital established specializing in care for foundlings. Y'all know what foundlings are? I had to look that one up. Yeah, babies, abandoned babies. They, they took them all in. The care net of Milan. <laughs> uh, and on a side note, in the 8th century, the Christian hospitals drew the attentions of the Arabs, the Arab nations, and they began to construct their own hospitals showing the influence of Christianity had even beyond the boundaries of the West. And by the mid-1500s, there were 37,000 Benedictine monasteries caring for the sick in Europe. Hospitals were prevalent by the 14th century. England had a population of less than 4 million, had over 600 hospitals by this point. France, Germany, and Italy had even more. In the New World, Cortez conquered um, Mexico and established a hospital there that's still there today, still operating today, 1524, Jesus of Nazareth Hospital. What about the U.S.? Well, British colonial America didn't see many hospitals until a decade after independence from England. There were two in the U.S. in the 1700s. That's it. Uh, when Thomas Jefferson was inaugurated, one of them was a ment well started as a hospital and then uh, opened as partly a mental hospital. And the second one was another one. That was in Philly, and this other one was in New York. What I have a picture of here is a Civil War hospital. You know where that is? That's in Evansville. Uh, and it wasn't until the Civil War and afterward that hospitals really began to, to be uh, common in America, much more prevalent after the Civil War. Here's a picture of another one during the Civil War. So after the Civil War, you see all these hospitals popping up with names like Presbyterian, St. John, St. Jude's, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, all churches or names of, of believers in the Bible. Uh, and the identity that's associated with those was very Christian. What's happening today? They're being bought up by HMOs and they're changing the name so we're even losing the connection to a Christian uh, past and influence. So though the average hospital is no longer a charity institution, although there are some still in uh, New Orleans and Baton Rouge, they're called charity hospitals. Is St. Jude's actually considered? I, would, I, would I believe consider so. Them a charity yeah, absolutely. These are all on the donations. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the precedent that the early Christians set is unmatched. Uh, the influence they had in, in alleviating human pain and suffering and it extended to whether they were rich or poor, anybody was, was cared for, and they reflected Christ in what they did. Mental health care. How is mental health care affected? There's little known about mental health care because there was such mistreatment. 
of the mentally ill in the early church. We know that some bishops and monks took in many in houses and cared for them, and that was common in the early 300s even. Monasteries were the primary means of caring for the mentally disturbed during the Middle Ages. Uh, they started humanely and then uh, later uh, their own institutions were uh, not good. Uh, not the, the monasteries, but separate institutions established to house them and were commonly damp, filthy, dungeon-like asylums. And so they were mistreated, they were shackled, treated less than human, and people thought, or the authorities that were over them thought that they could bring them back by physical punishment or by some form of confinement. And of course that was not correct. By the 1400s, uh, London also had care for the mentally disabled, but again, very bad conditions. So then we come across this dear man and brother, Felipe Pinel. In France, he was a frail, timid French physician. One time had been a divinity student. He goes into an asylum in Bicitre, I guess, France, defied the authorities, cut the chains loose from the inmates and cared for them uh, with compassion. They thought he was nuts for doing it. The response by the inmates was amazing. And they were civil and restrained. And as a Christian, he showed compassion reminiscent of Jesus dealing with the sick and the, the alien. It was quite a difference from what Europe was even doing. We have another lady, Dorothea Dix. She became the Peniel of America in the 1800s. She was appalled by the care of the mentally disturbed and she fought and obtained legislation in Massachusetts. Her parents were descendants of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, a godly people. She, uh, I believe, um, yeah, she, so she goes to the legislature and is trying to get laws passed to, for better care and facilities for the insane. And at the bottom you see it says, in one of her many appearances before the legislature, she chided them for their reluctance to honor a request for better facilities and care for the mentally ill. At one point she declared, I dishonor you, divest you at once of Christianity. She was resented by the physicians and ignored by the intellectuals of her day, but she was able to elevate the care of mental health to levels previously unknown in the U.S. Woman's influence, beautiful. This gentleman, Lord Shaftesbury, in the mid-1800s, he was a social campaigner and Christian took the lead in practical care and political reform to safeguard the interests of the mentally ill. And he pushed through what's been called, you know, I had my Magna Carta statement with justice. Here's the Magna Carta statement for um, care for the mentally ill. And it was uh, because of his Christian influence. What about medical nursing? 
we don't typically think of men, although now we do <laughs> more. Uh, Pastor Theodore Fleidner, this gentleman, gave refuge to a sick and destitute ex-prisoner in northern Germany providing nursing care. And he established a hospital with hundreds of beds and trained poor women as nurses. By 1894, they had 8,000 deaconesses in hospitals, orphanages, and schools. You're familiar with Florence Nightingale. You know the name. Maybe you know the picture even. She visited Kaiserwerth, where Fleidner was, and was inspired to give her life to nursing, which horrified her parents. <laughs> it transformed the vile conditions in the British military hospital during the Crimean War, and she spent the next 50 years developing and promoting modern nursing. Here's what she had to say. Nursing is an art. It requires exclusive devotion as hard a preparation as any painter's or sculptor's work. For what is the having to do with a dead canvas or dead marble compared with having to do with a living body, the temple of God's spirit? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Cicely Saunders was a lady I was unfamiliar with. First modern hospice and palliative care given in 1967 or 69, I think, for those who are dying. Care for them to the very end. What about modern doctors? This was fun. Learned a lot about these guys I'd never heard of. Guy de Chuliac, something like that. In 1200s, 1300s, he is a Catholic priest, wrote a seven volume work, that thing, another magna with over 3,000 references to other medical works, translated into numerous languages, and it was the textbook for physicians across Europe in the middle, late Middle Ages. Anybody ever heard of him? I hadn't. This guy's my favorite, though. Anybody know Thomas Sydenham? I had never heard of him. Okay, he writes this medical textbook which became the standard for two centuries. His ethic of care focused on treatment best for the individual patient saying, you must go to the bedside. It is there alone you can learn the disease. Here's what he had to say about his approach to teaching medicine. Whoever applies himself to medicine should seriously weigh the following considerations. He will one day have to render an account to the supreme judge of the lives of the sick persons committed to his care. Whew. Whatever skill or knowledge he may by the divine favor become possessed of should be devoted above all things to the glory of God and the welfare of the human race. He must remember that as no mean or ignoble creature that he deals with, we may ascertain the worth of the human race since for its sake God's only begotten son became man and thereby ennobled the nature that he took upon him. Isn't that good? Whew. The physician should bear in mind that he himself is not exempt from the common lot, but is subject to the same laws of mortality and disease as his fellows. And he'll care for the sick with more diligence and tenderness if he remembers that he himself is their fellow sufferer. Some of you may know this man, Dr. Francis Collins. He was the former director of the National Human Genome Project, which has been 
uh, extremely important in DNA and in um, in, in, in dealing with disease. Familiar with this man, Dr. Ben Carson, separating conjoined twins and his tremendous impact on medical care, compassionate medical care. May not be familiar with this guy, Jimmy Lynn. He's the chief scientific officer of his company, Freenome, working on early cancer detection. And his, he says in this debate that he has um, that his boss of his boss of his boss is Dr. Francis Collins uh, from the Human Genome Project. So these are some of the doctors of today that are having impacts in, in the medical community. How about Christian missions? What impact? Well, Ida Scudder was this woman who established Valor Christian Medical College designed to train Indian female doctors. And here's how it came about. In 1892, she went to visit her parents who were missionaries, I believe, in India. And her, her dad was a medical doctor. And he had two Brahmins and one Muslim uh, families come to them the same night with their wives were uh, in labor. And the doctor was willing to help deliver and they would not allow a man in their culture to do that. And those three women and children died. She was crushed by it. She wanted to help. She had not been trained. And so she had this school established for women doctors to be, to be, and it still exists, I believe, today, to be uh, helpful to the cause of women in labor. Anybody know Dr. Paul Brand? He was in my family's circle back in the 70s. He wrote this book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. He was a, a brilliant man who came up with a technique for tendon transfer surgery so that lepers could reuse their hands and feet. And he was in India, dedicated his life over there to uh, the glory of God. How about here in Owensboro? This is a medical mission, isn't it? Care Net of Owensboro. Thankful for those that invest in, in this program, both with their time and, and resources. How about our friends in China, Nepal, and Myanmar? They are involved in medical missions. They <laughs> didn't intend it to be that way, but in the latest uh, I think I shared with y'all at prayer meeting in their latest letters they shared about the monsoon season and the flooding that took place and how they went and got boats and went through the, the neighborhoods or the area and uh, rescued 2,000 from flooded homes, put them in an abandoned hospital that's not being used, 700 children there, and they preached the gospel to them and fed them, took care of them. Uh, they're, they're doing similar things with schools in China 
and, and caring for several hundred orphans in Myanmar in, the, in remote areas. What can we do? Give yourself in your sphere of influence to meeting mercy needs. Who would that be? Well, you say, what can one person do? And you know the old starfish story? Guys walking along the beach and all these thousands of starfish have been washed up on the beach and he picks one up and throws it back in the ocean. His friend says, you're wasting your time. That's, who's that gonna help? He says, well, for that one starfish, he's thankful, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do. We just need to do somebody. We need to love our brothers and sisters here at Heritage Baptist Church that are weak and sick. Uh, we've got people, you know, who have great needs. Are we reach? I was rebuked. I was just floored by all this. It's we got help. We got to check on them at least, and uh, take them a meal. They're still openings on the take them a meal list should that should be filled up immediately uh, we've got to love each other better and we've got to love those around us better volunteer at a local medical ministry like here give to it find a way to reach out to the weak and the poor we're out of time i'll pray in close Lord, we're thankful that you are so different from us. And yet you've placed your spirit within us that stirs us to see that we've got change. And we pray that you would do that by your spirit, that it wouldn't just be temporary, but it would be lasting, that we would devote ourselves to our brothers and sisters in need. Help us, we pray. Change Heritage Baptist Church. We ask it for your namesake. Amen.